let us pray together. Father, your word is indeed a light to our path. We pray, Lord, that you would open your word to us today, that you would light our path, that we would know how to follow Jesus and to love and serve him in the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, a common question that Christians often wrestle with, or that's posed by those who are curious about the faith, is what does it mean to believe in Jesus? If I'm a Christian, what does that look like in my life? It's a big part of why we're doing this series in 1 John. Getting clarity on what it means to be a Christian. Last week, we heard John summarize what it is to be a Christian by telling us that God calls people, in a nutshell, to believe in Jesus Christ and to love one another. All Christians are meant to follow Jesus by living a life of love, a topic that John will return to in our reading next week. This week, John is teaching his audience how the church is meant to interact with and guard the contents of our faith. He is, in a sense, teaching them how to tell the difference between what they should believe and what should be set aside as false teaching. In doing so, he shows the Christians' responsibility, their foundation, and their encouragement. Let's open up to John, 1 John chapter 4. Again, if you have your study booklet with you, you can look at it there or in the insert in your bulletin. Chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. As we've said before, John is writing to a church that is dealing with the problem of schism. There was a group of leaders or teachers in the church who were proclaiming a false gospel. They were teaching that Jesus was not actually human, but only divine. And it appears as though the church was seriously considering this teaching. They were perhaps starting to be led astray by it. It's in this context that John shows us the responsibility of the Christian. It's to not accept whatever it is we are being taught simply because the person teaching it claims to speak the truth. All of what is taught in the name of Jesus is meant to be weighed and considered and pondered because many claim to teach in the name of Christ, but they are false prophets, teaching that which flies in the face of biblical Orthodox Christianity. I love that John spells this out for us because it flies in the face. It stands in stark contrast to how many people view Christians or people of faith in general, really. Many people equate faith with blind faith, thinking that believing in Jesus means blindly accepting whatever you are told about him. Don't think too hard about any of it. Just believe. Just have faith. I remember a friend of mine years ago, when they found out that I was a Christian, responded with, but Dave, you're a smart guy. I like to think I'm a smart guy too, but I'm not sure it was meant as a compliment at the time. It's what many think of Christians. 
right? Blind, brainless lemmings following their oddly dressed priests to the vat of Kool-Aid every week. John says no. It's the responsibility of the Christian not to shut our brain off, but to engage with everything we are being taught. Sadly, throughout the history of the faith, there have been many who have approached Jesus as if he asks us to check our brains at the door. Even more sadly, there are many preachers who have taught just that. John Stott, though, rightly points out that there is an urgent need for discernment among Christians. We are often too gullible and exhibit a naive readiness to credit messages and teachings which purport to come from the spirit world. There is such a thing, however, as a misguided charity and tolerance towards false doctrine. To not follow Stott's advice here and cultivate discernment is to open wide the door for false teaching and false prophets. Why? Because what they're going to say is going to sound awfully good. No false teacher is going to walk in and say, okay, everybody, take out your pen, take out your notebook. For the next hour, I am going to teach you something that is entirely false. There's no way they're going to do that. They're going to teach things that are soothing to the ear and so close to the truth that we will be tempted to eat it up if we don't test it. Now, we often wonder why it is our friends and family don't believe in Jesus. Why don't more people seem to have faith? Or why do so many who once believed now seem to have drifted and walked away from the faith? Well, one of the reasons is found in verse 5. They, speaking of the false prophets here, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. What's John teaching here? It's that people listen to what they want to hear. Take this as a non-religious example. Consider for a moment people's news consumption. If you tend to lean one way politically in Canada, and you actually read the newspaper... Chances are you read the National Post. And if you lean another way politically, chances are you read the Toronto Star. And more to the point, if you read one of those, chances are you don't read the other one. We listen to the one who says what we want to hear, who confirms what we already believe to be true. People don't believe or people drift from belief because we have a particular narrative that we want to hear and we will chase it when we think we hear it. And often those narratives are massively popular. Remember a friend of mine when he came to faith, was very excited, zeal of a new believer, it's great. He went online and wanted to find as many sermons as he possibly could. He wanted to listen to everything. And so... He picked one out, and he picked the one that had the most followers, most subscribers. And he thought, well, there's no way a million people could be wrong. Well, turns out, I actually knew the preacher that he was listening to. He's actually very famous. And he was preaching a false gospel. Turns out one million people were entirely wrong. Paul puts it this way in 2 Timothy 4. 
For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And many of those myths will be preached by those claiming to be Christian. Whatever our preferred narrative, we can find a charismatic teacher to tell us that that is the best way to go. And as we said, they won't announce that their teachings are false. But their false teachings will worm its way inside us and rot us to the core if we let it. For some, it's the narrative that there's ultimately nothing wrong with me. I just need to believe in myself more. It's the false gospel of self-esteem solving all our problems. Others, it's a false gospel, gospel known as the prosperity gospel. Just believe more, then God will bless you. He'll give you the house you always wanted, and he'll give you more money than you could ever spend, because God loving you means you never having to face a difficulty in your life. Right? It's completely false. Maybe it's the false gospel of self-improvement. I just need to do all the right things. Let me check all the boxes. Let me show God how nice and good I am, and then he'll have to love me. He'll have to accept me and let me into heaven. Some of us fear that faith in Christ is actually going to make things worse. We won't be able to do the things we want to do, or maybe I'll lose some friends because nobody wants to hang out with the religious guy. We're concerned that Jesus will ruin the perfectly good life we've constructed for ourselves. My false gospel was related to that last one. I didn't want to be the outcast. So I bought into the lie that I could believe in Jesus and then live however I wanted to. It didn't matter what my actual actions were. I wanted to believe that faith didn't mean a change in your behavior. Praise the Lord, over time he convicted me of that false gospel and opened my eyes to the truth that in Jesus there is a joy and freedom to life that does not exist apart from him. Got a false gospel that's worked its way into your heart? Maybe it's one of the ones I've just listed. Letting go of that false gospel means being honest that there is sin in our lives, that we can't save ourselves, that we need a redeemer. And that might sound scary, but in truth, the gospel has life. In Jesus, life is found. The responsibility we have as believers is to weigh what we are hearing, not blindly believing anyone who claims to teach in the name of God, but testing the spirits. Logical question then is, how do we do it? How do we test the spirits? Well, we start by first understanding that there is a standard by which to judge, that it comes from God and it is founded in Christ. We get those points from three verses. First, very end of our passage today, verse six. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John refers here to the spirit of truth. Now, this might be a controversial statement. 
For generations it wasn't, it was just common sense, but not so much anymore. Here it is. John is saying that truth exists. Truth exists. After all, you can't have a spirit of truth if there's no such thing as truth. And notice he didn't say a spirit of truth, but the spirit of truth. This is not the spirit of one of many truths, but of absolute truth. Again, for years it was agreed upon. Absolute truth existed, but for quite a while now that's called into question. What we're talking about here is relativism. A common belief in our time is that truth is a relative thing. There can't be just one relative truth, and to claim that there is and that you possess is the height of arrogance, perhaps even dangerous. There's an extent to which that's true. It can be dangerous to claim that you are the sole possessor of truth. The challenge, of course, though, is when we think about it, the claim that there is no absolute truth is exactly that. An absolute truth claim. You can't claim that there's no such thing as absolute truth unless you are so all-knowing, unless you possess so much knowledge that you can see that no one else in the world has truth. You're the only one. The claim itself can't bear the weight of its implication. Relativism. It's a false gospel. And it has slipped its way into many Christians' ears. And many have snatched it up and proclaimed that things like all religions are are really just different paths to the same outcome. All roads lead to heaven. John tells us that relativism and the gospel are in opposition to each other and they cannot walk together. We can say that because of verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, just to pause for a second, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth that John talks about in verse 6. They are one and the same. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. John tells us here that the spirit of truth comes from God because he is the spirit of God. And the truth he proclaims is grounded or founded upon the person of Jesus Christ. That is why a relative view of truth does not line up with the gospel. To deny that there is an absolute truth is to deny what God has revealed about his son. It is to deny what Jesus himself taught. He called himself the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, a truth, and a life. The way, the truth, the life. What does any of this have to do with testing the spirits? Am I just going on a rant about philosophical points of view? I've been known to do that, so it's a fair question. What it shows us is that there is a standard for truth. That truth comes from God and is found in Jesus Christ. That being the case, if anyone claims to speak on the things of God, that it must line up with what God has revealed about himself. 
It must be founded upon Jesus Christ. It must glorify him. It must point people back to him, and it must be in line with what he taught. If it isn't, it is not from God. That simple. John Stott, again, summarizes this masterfully. The person of Christ is central. No system can be tolerated, however loud its claims or learned its adherence, if it denies that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh. That is, if it denies either his eternal deity or his historical humanity. Its teachers are false prophets, and its origin is the spirit of Antichrist. Those who deny the Son have neither the Father nor the Spirit. In Jesus Christ, God has revealed truth for us, and he has not left us on our own to decide what truth is. The Father has given us truth revealed in Jesus Christ, confirmed by the Holy Spirit, and recorded for us in God's very word, Holy Scripture. One more quote from Stott. We haven't had him for a couple weeks, so I've got to make sure we get our fill here. He wrote this, Protection against error or victory over it is ascribed both to an objective standard of doctrine, Holy Scripture, and to the indwelling spirit who illumines our minds to grasp and apply it. A great example of this comes from Scripture itself, Acts 17. Paul's preaching the gospel to a group known as the Bereans. Here's what we read about this group. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That is a perfect example of what it is to test what we have heard. The Bereans knew there was such a thing as truth, and so they went back to what they knew to be true, God's word, to weigh what they were hearing, to test Paul's preaching. And you know what happened when they tested Paul's preaching? Many of them, therefore, according to Scripture, believed. Friends, when you hear anyone claiming to teach the faith, slow down, listen to what they're saying, but then check it out. Pray about what you are learning. Open the Scriptures and look for yourself, whether it's me preaching or the popular podcast online. And do it with other believers. The Bereans opened scripture as a group. They did it together. Too many of us want to march off with our Bibles. And, you know, I got the Spirit and I got the Bible, so I don't need anybody else. I know how to stand, understand everything on my own now. John's writing to a church. The assumption is that they will open the scripture together. They will pray together. They will learn together. It's why we want to have the text that we're preaching on and reading in people's hands every week so that we can ask questions. We can dive deeper into God's word and we can grow together, not assuming that some person has all the right answers. Do you have any believers in your life who can help open the scriptures for you? You can do that with together. We all need Christian community to help us grow in faith. Doing it on your own, you're going to stagnate. Trust me, I tried it for years. Come this fall, we are going to have more opportunities to open the word together. 
Can't announce what those are just yet because I haven't actually finalized what those are just yet, but stay tuned. Are you going to be willing to join in on that? Are you willing to dive into the word together as a church? We all need teachers and mentors to help us, all of us. We are to measure all that we learn by the standard of God's word and through the confirmation of God's spirit, and we are to do it together. Last thing for today. There is an encouragement for the church in our passage. Let's be honest. When we proclaim the gospel, when we proclaim the truth that Jesus is the only way to God, and that truth is found in Christ, that is not something the world is going to want to hear. We might be called arrogant, ignorant, maybe even everyone's favorite word these days, bigoted. And it might seem at times as if the world is against us. Here's the encouragement to all who are in Christ. Verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Opposition to the gospel will come. For many of us, it already has. It will continue. But the God we serve is greater. The spirit we have living inside of us, all of us who are in Christ, is greater than the spirits that inhabit the fallen world. And because of that, the gospel endures. The truth of Jesus Christ will never be snuffed out. It will never be overcome. All else could change and fall away. But Jesus Christ remains. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is the Lord of yesterday, today, and forever. He will not be defeated. And he lives inside all those who by faith claim him as Lord and Master. We can often look at the condition of the world and where the church stands <laughs> compared to where we used to, some of us see as an ideal, and it can make us nervous. We can wonder what's happening, where the world's going to, where the church is going to go. But when we look out at the world, we need not be afraid. We need not be nervous because he who lives inside us is greater than all of that. We don't say that in a boastful way. Oh, I know God, he lives inside me, and all those people don't. Look at me. We've overcome because God has done the work. In his grace, he has come to live with us, to reveal himself to us. So rather than succumb to arrogance or to run and hide from the world, we are meant to pray for the world, for the believer and the non-believer, to love them as Christ loved them, being willing to serve one another and the world so that all might know Jesus. It is by grace that we have come to know Jesus. And so by his grace, we pray he would open the eyes of those who have been deceived by the countless false gospels out there, that they might have their eyes opened and embrace the truth of Jesus. The responsibility we have, all who claim to know Christ, is to test the spirits, to engage with what we are taught, and to use our minds 
And we do so by building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, what he has revealed to us and confirmed in us by his spirit. And we are encouraged as we do it, as we walk in this world, that while many might oppose the gospel, Jesus cannot be overcome and will continue to open the eyes of the blind to see truth. And in seeing truth, they shall be set free from sin and darkness to walk in his light. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in Christ you have showered your grace upon us. We pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of any who might be here or any that we know who are blind to the truth of Jesus. Father, we pray that you would show us as a community how we can best serve one another, grow together, opening the word together, praying and worshiping together that more and more might know the name of Jesus and in him find life. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.